From Given, this is Purposing, the podcast that lifts the lid on how to run a truly purpose-driven business. I'm Becky Willen, and with the help of leaders from some of the world's most recognized brands, I'll be demystifying this often misunderstood topic into clear, actionable advice you can use in your own business. This week, I'm joined by Esther Weyerberg, Executive Vice President of Sustainable Business and Innovation at Tommy Hilfiger. Esther's been an activist, a consultant, and a pioneer of sustainable fashion before joining PBH, the parent company behind Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein, in 2014. There, she's part of the management team and leads the sustainability, inclusion, and innovation agenda for the brand. Through this conversation, you'll learn how to make sustainability and inclusivity essential ingredients in building a purposeful brand, build the best team for delivering real change and impact, and maintain momentum and drive progress in every part of your organization. Before I speak with Esther, let's take a quick look back at her career to learn how she became one of the most well-respected business leaders in sustainable fashion. Esther's story began somewhere you might not expect. I started my career in beer brewing. So I started with Heineken because it's a great company and I loved working there. One job I did was in the soft drinks factory. So it was literally on the lines leading to teams of people that put the soft drinks in the cans. She was at the company for four years. Although it was a good experience, she knew there was something more. So she took time off to think, heading to Japan with her partner. I had always felt that I missed that sense of what we now call purpose. I think the period in Japan really set me free of any paradigms of how a career should look and what you should do with your talent. So the period in Japan, because I didn't work and I had to sort of reinvent myself, really helped me to be a little bit more unconventional in my choices. When Esther got home, she came across a job that she loved the sound of with a small NGO called Made By. Here she began to discover her own purpose. The time at Made By really helped to ground me very much in the details of sustainability. And at that time, that was environmental sustainability plus workers' rights. Together with her team, she took the seed of an idea to help fashion brands to be more sustainable and grew it from the ground up. How do you build a sustainability strategy? How do you build a sustainable supply chain? We found it out by doing. For me, that is something that I thrive in. I like setting out new strategies. I like finding out new ways of doing things. I get bored easily if I need to maintain status quo somewhere. So after seven years and now in charge, she decided it was time for a change. And although she always said she couldn't see herself heading up sustainability in a major global fashion business, the opportunity to make an impact through a new role at Tommy was too big to miss. That was an environment that also worked really well for me because I had loads of ideas. We just implemented one thing after another, I think. There was a very entrepreneurial culture. It felt like if you had a good idea and you know you could get people in your boat, then you could go with it. So Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So Esther, can you set the scene for us? When did the leadership team at Tommy Hilfiger really start thinking about making sustainability and inclusion central to the brand and business? And what was going on that really prompted that? I think it was about four or five years ago that we really made a shift. I mean, sustainability wasn't new to us as a brand, especially the inclusivity part of sustainability has always been part that Tommy also, since he's founded the brand and in his endeavors previous to the brand, he's already taken it up. 
And we had been working on real sustainability programs with like a strategy and commitments and things like that since about 2010. But I think it was towards the end of 2017 when we started realizing, hey, now we have a sustainability program with 10 commitments. They were all very impact driven. We had worked on integrating that into the business, creating business value out of it. But we realized that really what we did not have was a point of view where it connected really to the brand and also to the consumer. And by that time, we were also more ready to start speaking about it towards the consumer. And we realized that if we don't actually make this a part of our brand uh, and our brand DNA and our brand heritage, then it's going to be very difficult to actually speak to the consumer because what's your point of view? So we actually redid our strategy at that time. That process began at the end of 2017, I think. And we started out with industry research, also consumer research. And we had a lot of talks also internally in the organization, both with younger people as well as with executive leadership and also the middle layer that in the end really needs to move things forward. It became really clear that for us at that moment, circularity was one area where we wanted to focus, but inclusivity was just as much an area where we wanted to focus. I think it was a time where you could see sort of the, the call for social justice rise from the younger generation. So when we talked to a, a, a forum that we called Future Voices, that group was really strong about social justice needs to be one of the causes. So at that point, we said, OK, we want to have something that's dual and equal between circularity and inclusivity. And we started making the, the waste nothing welcome all strategy. Great. And tell me a little bit more about that Future Voices program. Is that made up of people who work for Tommy Hilfiger and PBH or is that made up of employees and consumers as well? How, do, how does that work? At that time, it really was a, a group consisting of people that worked within the organization, but all under a certain age and all relatively new to the organization because we felt that we wanted to construct a program and a strategy that really resonated with all levels of the organization. After all, the people in your organization are also a reflection of the, of the consumers outside. So Tommy Hilfiger as a brand has got this really inspiring vision around waste nothing, welcome all, which really speaks to those two pillars of circularity and, and inclusion. But what role does that idea play specifically within the wider business strategy and how does it fit into the brand architecture? When we constructed the strategy, we also really looked at, okay, how, how is that going to play a role? And in the end, we ended up with a brand framework that is constructed of a purposeful mission, which is to collide the classic with the new to light up what's next. And then it has a number of strategic priorities such as raising brand desire, creating more visibility around the brand and also connecting more digitally and direct with consumers. Underneath all of that, we specified waste nothing, welcome all as the how. So we really looked at, okay, why are we doing things? What are we doing? And then how are we doing it? And we felt waste nothing, welcome all should be a guiding principle that is actually infusing everything that we do in the organization, whether you are working on a product or whether you're working on a brand experience or whether you're working on connecting with consumers, you should take that into account and see how that can influence your day-to-day -day business. I think that's so interesting because I think in so many organizations still, a sustainability strategy is seen as something that operates in addition to an existing business strategy, but in a very brand-driven organization, putting 
sustainability and inclusion front and centre of how the brand is organised and run, I think is a, is a really important thing that lots of other organisations can, can learn from, actually. But tell us on a really practical level, what are some of the things that you've done to drive progress around these two big topics? And, and I guess even more specifically, given that some of this step change came from that desire to make sure that this helped you connect better with your consumers, how have you done this in a way that really builds that brand desire and, and relevance? Under each of the two sides, we have two basic pillars. And if you look at the circularity side, one pillar is around the product that we create. And of course, that's also a main tool to, to connect with that consumer and to actually walk the talk. So the product has always been front and center of all our efforts. And by now, I think for globally in 2021, 60% of all the materials that we used was more sustainably sourced. We've taken that further this year to really look at, okay, cotton, how can we make within sustainably sourced cotton? How can we actually bring that further and, and go and, and work towards more sustainable cottons to move up the ladder, basically? If you look at the other pillar in circularity, uh, that's about how we operate. In 2020, for instance, in Europe, all of our energy was uh, renewable. We had uh, a solar roof installed on our warehouse in Venlo, which was, uh, I think, for a short while, even the most powerful in the world. So we're very proud of that. On the inclusivity side, it's really about, on the one hand, how you show up as a brand and what is the experience that you get. So there's a lot of work that we did there with our People's Place program. So the, the collaborations with Romeo Hunty and Pata were a part of that. But it's also, of course, about how do you show up internally and there we've done unconscious bias trainings, for instance. And I think an important part of showing up as a brand is also uh, the, the way that we did the shows for a number of years. You could see that that inclusive thinking uh, and how do we show up as a brand really has infused the way that we've done our runway shows. The Zendaya shows were an example of that, but also the last show where we actually casted uh, talent, not out of the, the regular model pools, but there was a lot of street casting actually done really with the idea to show different people with, you know, with their own powerful stories, but not the ones that you normally see. I was wondering if you wanted to touch on any of the material innovation, like the new materials that you've been pioneering as well, because I guess from a consumer perspective, that's where a lot of that relevance really comes through if you're using leather that's made from an alternative source. Yeah, I think that that is definitely that's definitely part of it. And we also have to be honest about this, right? Because consumers don't go and buy a product because it is sustainable. They just don't. Like if you look at the consumer research, there is always a top five or something and sustainability will be in it, but it's never going to be part of the one, two and usually not three either. So it's still about style. It's about pricing. It's often about uniqueness. And then it's also about sustainability or impact. And so we've seen it most in the circular business work that we've done, because for the last two, three years, we've now been running different versions of e-commerce and rental and things like that. And uh, I think it was a big learning for us, like the first e-commerce venture that we launched. We we're very proud of it. We had thought it all out and we launched it and it didn't really work. Uh, and so we really had to go back and say, okay, actually, we fell in love with the solution be before we actually really tested what the problem was. So also in this area, it's super important to remain very connected to that consumer and check with that consumer what they actually want. So we redid that strategy and said, okay, a few steps back, let's do a lot more pilots to actually validate what we can do in this area. And what's the value that we add as a brand? Because clearly the consumer wants more you know, secondhand shopping, like that market is booming. It's predicted to be, I think, uh, 50 billion in a couple of years. So it's, it's massive. 
But what is the role that you play as a brand? So we're now looking at, okay, how how with merchandising do we do that? How with working with partners do we do that? Where does that consumer actually go? What's in their consideration set? Uh, and also there we found it's not about uh, it's not about the sustainability. So no, they don't want actually a product that you do up till the highest quality. Uh, and then it's still rather expensive. They expect something that is more fairly priced uh, with a level of uniqueness. I think our long-term innovation program is probably driven, it's always driven by consumers also, because we know that we want to move into that direction, but it's also driven by impact and by the knowledge that, you know, if we want to move uh, and still be in existence uh, in 10 years, 20 years, we'll have to find alternatives to cotton. The amount of waste that we produce as an industry is just way too big. And the amount of land that we have is not enough to foresee in everyone's needs, be it feed or food or fuel or fiber. So you can't sort of just keep on using cotton, virgin cotton, and then just throw it away after one or two seasons. You will have to find a solution for that waste problem and turn old textiles into news. So that, I think, is the driving force behind our innovation program in that area. And we just this year concluded a contract with Infinited Fiber, uh, one of the innovators, but also working with some other innovators on collaborations. Wow, love those stories. Brilliant. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger, you recently made the decision to bring together sustainability, inclusion and innovation under one team, really with the mission to drive a, a sustainable, inclusive business transformation for Tommy Hilfiger. So how did that decision come about? So we had a sustainability team, an inclusivity function, we had a circular business team, we had an innovation team, they were all sitting in different areas. But if you look at these functions, actually there's a lot of overlap. There is no sustainability progress without innovation. We were just talking about the fibers, it's, it's one example. There's no circular business without understanding how do you make a new product actually in a way that lasts. And then also has the right data, for instance, to be able to be taken up in circular business models. The whole fact that we created a strategy with inclusivity and circularity as the two pillars. There's also a lot of overlap there and innovation in the area of inclusivity. If you think about on-demand models, for instance, if you put these functions together, you actually stimulate the collaboration between those functions and you make it easier to find themselves and also to work together and, and uh, strengthen each other. And there's more weight also, and there's a synergy effect. But besides that, we also realize that all of those functions actually are functions that inherently try to transform an organization. And that's different than a lot of other business functions because most business functions are about running the business. And we're all about making the business different. And that is a really different way of working. Yeah, I strongly believe in the learning also on the how, how we do our job between those functions. And we see that happening. So there's a lot of, oh yeah, oh, let me learn from that person. Oh, let me connect with that person within the group now, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as I'm concerned, this is such a, a powerful model for driving positive change within a business. And I don't know why, frankly, more businesses haven't embraced this approach because I think it's really different and has the potential to be really transformational. So tell us a bit more about the mandate, I guess, and the role of your team at Tommy. And what does that work look like in practice in terms of the responsibilities you have? And I guess, crucially, how you work with different departments? Because as you said, this is about changing the business. So what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah, so we have defined our mission as a department to ignite and accelerate transformation that allows then the business to lead a, a future that is more clean, just and new. We do see our role as an enabling role 
nothing changes if we just work on it. We're a relatively small group. So the change always happens with the business. So we really see that role as an igniter and an, an accelerator. And what it looks like in practice, I think, is we do a lot of convening. We do also a lot of kickstarting. Our mandate is to lead that journey, right? And to set that North Star to, to say like, okay, this is where we want to end up as an organization. And then to make sure that there is buy-in for that. So that was for a large part done in the strategy that we set by the way, also in a very co-creational way. So I think it never works as, as a department. You set your goals in isolation. You really have to do it with the business, if only because there is an immense amount of wisdom in the business and it always gets better if you work together. We also still do a fair amount of project management. What we always try to do is to make sure that we go in a movement from kickstarting something, developing something together with the business, and then at one point handing it over. So that's really something that goes for all of the functions in, in our group. What I do think we should do more of, and that this is one of the things that uh, I think we can improve in, is, is the monitoring part. So the monitoring and holding people accountable. Yeah, and I guess how you do that in a positive, empowering, co-creative way rather than becoming the kind of sustainability inclusion police within an organization, I think is a, yeah, is a big question. That is the big question indeed, and you don't want that. And I think part of that is also about having a talk with the business and understanding that uh, there is an accountability and an ownership. If I look back at the last 10 years, we've moved from sort of just being aware to seeing the organization become accepting of the fact that, yes, this is something that we are going to do, to participating in projects and actually, you know, really actively, and then to owning it. In that ownership, I think that's where the power sits, because that's where the business starts to drive things. And then you have all of a sudden hundreds of people driving forward things instead of uh, tens of people. But still, even within that ownership phase, I think there is a lot of nuance to how do you make sure it's, it keeps being set at the top of the agenda? How do we make sure that it, it is actually really, truly embedded in the target setting, in the priorities? And how do we also make sure that we, yeah, that we measure that progress? I often see in a lot of professionals within our area that, you know, there is a lot of energy around inspiration, visioning, future, like getting things started, and maybe a little bit less energy about monitoring and seeing where we are and making sure that the, the ends are tied up. I think it really depends on the kind of organizational culture because I work with other clients where typically in the financial services sector, so very different from fashion, where actually the, the go-to sort of tactic is metrics and measurement. And actually, I think a bit more storytelling engagement would go a long way towards driving the sort of change in, in those organizations. Yeah, super interesting that you say that. Yeah, you need both. And actually a better collaboration around this with our finance department is one of the things that we are exploring at the moment uh, and, uh, and are setting up. So what have been some of the biggest wins that you've had so far as a team and, and where have the challenges been? There is a great amount of power and support felt by the people in the group because we're now all part of the same mission. What is a real big win is that when we created this department, we also had a role. So my role heading it up was, was then placed into the management team. And I think that's a major win because that means that these topics are always part of uh, the decision making on a day-to-day -day basis and of the priority setting. And even if it remains a challenge, because I also don't want to pretend that that's all rosy and that then solves the governance issue because it doesn't, but it does allow you to always be part of the conversation of the agenda setting of the priority setting. And that is a step I think that every organization should go and move towards because that seat at the table 
and that opportunity to interact on the same level is really important. It infuses all of the areas of the business. It should infuse all of the areas of the business. So it isn't part of only marketing or only HR. And if you do it like that, I think it will be driven from that. It doesn't mean that it's always easier if you don't have it. Like if we look at inclusivity, I think, you know, there is a lot, obviously a really important part of inclusivity is making sure that you have an inclusive culture and that you have inclusive talent lifecycle practices. Those are all uh, a real part of the day-to-day of HR. And there's a lot to be said, I think, for having an inclusion function that is maybe part of that. But then you miss out on the whole community and the whole market aspect, which is equally important. So how do we show up as a brand and how do we connect basically those two things? So that seat at the table allows you to actually talk and see all of those elements and, and make sure that that is taken into account. Mm-hmm. So what are your reflections on the skills and capabilities that are needed to drive this sort of transformational change? And how are they different from those that you might find in a much more kind of conventional setup? One of the most important things is the ability and the power to learn. So we actually have set five impact principles those principles really set the way of working. So they characterize the way of working of what we think is necessary. And the first one is to make meaningful connections. So you always make sure that you have the right people at the table. The second one is to set everybody up for action. Because as I said, we don't do the change. So if we do our work well, we have to set others up to make the change. And the third one is embrace a passion for learning. Because all the work that we do in all of these areas, it's, it's a matter of pioneering. And if you're afraid to fail you're probably not trying enough. And that is really hard because in, in, I think, regular business context, failing is not always comfortable. But failing is necessary to learn. Like you can't pioneer if you, if you never fall. Great. So as we talked about, a huge part of the mission for your team has been to drive change, create engagement and ownership across the entire organization. So what are your biggest learnings about how you do that well? So on a really practical level, you know, what's worked to drive that engagement and ownership? And what are the failures that you've embraced in terms of not getting it right first time? (laughs) So the first thing that comes to mind is more at the beginning of our journey, if I look at the sustainability side of things, and I think it's still sometimes a pitfall, is that you create a lot of awareness and noise about things. And awareness is good. People need to be aware of the problem, but it can't stop there. And if you do too much awareness raising around things uh, and you rally people, but you don't have anything behind that, then it becomes really difficult. So I remember from the early 10, so I think around 2012, 13, we, we were in a situation where we had set up loads of ambassador circles and there were like, you know, all kinds of events and everybody's like, yay, let's start with the sustainability thing. And then now what? You know, we didn't have the answer. So at that point in time, we really switched to making sure that it's very clear to people, like, how do you integrate sustainability or inclusivity measures into your day-to-day business? And that's something that we've always kept up. Most of the time, the most motivating thing, if you see your colleagues from product development or you see your colleagues from IT and you hear them talk about, hey, why am I developing this program or look at that initiative? That's really cool. That's where people start to believe like, okay, everybody in this organization can actually change something. In our work on purpose transformation, we found that there are five 
different areas that are really important if you're trying to embed and activate a sort of purposeful mission. And those are around governance, so getting the right structures and processes in place for support decision making. It's about leadership, because clearly you've got to have leaders who set the right tone and kind of role model and so that they can inspire teams into action. Colleague engagement, as you've talked about, really important in terms of, of creating conversations, sharing stories that keep everyone engaged. Brand and innovation. So, you know, how do we integrate these ideas into brands, not simply just making new kind of marketing campaigns, but in everything from the product to the pricing. And then as we've touched on metrics and measurement. So, you know, how do you identify the right indicators and, and data to really measure progress and impact? And I was wondering, based on your experience, are some of these easier to deliver on than others? And maybe particularly in the context of the setup that you have at Tommy and kind of why have you found that experience? <laughs> All of them are hard, but at the same time, probably colleague engagement, I think you can always get started on that. So for instance, if you look at inclusivity or uh, inclusion diversity, it's a very difficult topic and often people feel very... Um, yeah, feel uncomfortable talking about it. People are afraid to make mistakes. So how do I create a goal? So but before you even start about how do I create more diverse talent practices or how do I create a more diverse culture, the starting point is already how do I create a better environment to actually have a conversation about it? So we did listen and learn sessions. You know, if I look back at our years of activation, creating those kind of events and creating space for conversation and for sharing stories, that's always possible. I also think from a brand and innovation perspective, like to think that through formally and structurally maybe more intricate, but at the same time, product or service, if you're service oriented, is a really tangible thing that a lot of people in your organization actually know a lot about. So starting to change something in the product is also, I think, a good starting point. Yeah, I think the other really interesting and important thing about that product brand innovation piece is that you are showing how value gets created through this stuff. And I think by making it real and tangible outside the walls of the organization, that can be incredibly powerful also as a symbol of change to people who are working within the company. Yeah, I think so. And one of the earliest things that we did, I think, in the second strategy program that we launched uh, in 2014 is that we linked every single part of our strategy. We linked it to business value for all the people that <laughs> weren't yet convinced that this was the way to go. At least you could see, OK, so this is why it drives consumer engagement or this is why it will drive sales or this is why it will drive supply chain resilience. I often find that the debate around it takes place too much in the in the area around like, okay, creating the culture and, and creating a better space for everybody. But let's not forget, this is also about good business. Like a diverse population within your company, make sure that you can actually innovate and that you have the most complete input for innovation and for developing products that actually speak to communities around the world. So I think any anyone working in this space knows that this kind of transformation takes time and really, you know, needs to be measured in years, not months or even quarters. So if we were to fast forward, say, five years, where would you like things to be at Tommy Hilfiger? <laughs> oh, no, well, no lack of ambition there, I think. I would really want our population to be much more diverse even than it is today. And then consciously leverage 
that diversity for the creation of product and services and brand experiences. So really be much more conscious also in the use of all the diverse talent that we have. Then I would like for our circular business, I was speaking earlier about how circular business at the moment, we took a step back, we're piloting all the diverse elements of it, uh, but I would love for it to be out of out of pilot stage and I would want it to be uh, like a common part of day-to-day -day business. Like by 2027, I think we should we should be there. It should be part of daily business to take back product and to just sell, uh, sell product that is not new. I would like all of our products to be designed in a circular way. By that time, we should be definitely on 100% uh, on sustainable materials as well. But then I would also like to see some of the more innovative ways of doing business. So the on-demand part, less waste creation with on-demand systems, but also on-demand more products that suit the consumer specifically. I would like more services and products that aren't based on virgin resources. So yeah, quite, quite a bit there, I think, that we still have to do, but we're on the way. Yeah, and really exciting. So what are the big things that are, I guess, that you're focused on now that you think will have the biggest impact on enabling that ambition to be realized over the next five years? On the inclusivity part, so we've just done an entire scan of our talent practices. So across the whole life cycle, really looking at, okay, what are all the elements if you look at from hiring to promoting to developing talent, retaining talent? Uh, what are all the elements there that are really making a dent upping your representation of underrepresented groups. That was hugely insightful. It resulted in 17 areas of opportunity. So we're now actually structuring a multi-year roadmap, uh, starting with uh, certain recruitment practices that we're going to improve, but also leadership behaviors. In the area of uh, products, uh, as I, I spoke earlier about cotton uh, cotton and the cotton roadmap that we're doing, we're doing that for all materials. Where, uh, we have already developed a whole framework for circular uh, design, but we're now also aiming to roll that out towards, uh, towards 2025 to make sure that everybody understands how to work with that and that we can start measuring it because measuring whether something is or is not a circular product or circularly designed product is not so easy. And then we have a lot of innovation on the way in the area of on-demand and also in the area of uh, digitally created fashion. So that's a real focus point. Like, for instance, you also saw with, uh, with the runway show where we had a physical runway show, but we also had a digital runway show in Roblox at the same time. So we just did uh, a project around digital twinning. So you can actually buy then the same product for your avatar as you can buy for yourself in real life. So you can make sure that your avatar actually really looks like you or vice versa uh, in your favorite Tommy outfit. Yeah, and it's very exciting also to link those different areas and you create a sort of an ecosystem within the organization that's not necessarily grouped together, but that's all working around the same topic. Uh, it's very powerful. Wow. Yeah, so the future of fashion is digital in its most kind of fullest sense. Amazing. Well, Esther, it's been such a pleasure having you on Purposing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Esther. Lots of amazing insight there. So here's a few things that I've taken from the conversation. Make your team the change makers on the inside. Be clear about the change you're trying to create, the mindset you need, and your plan of action. Co-create with your team to unify diverse skills, experiences, and perspectives under one mission. Then make it easy for other parts of the business to get started and stay involved and to use their expertise and resources to drive projects further. Bring the customer into your world. The purpose, sustainability and inclusivity agenda in your business can feel pretty far removed from your customers' daily lives. 
But if you want to create business value as well as positive impact, always start by understanding your customer needs and expectations first and then work back. Adopt a test and learn mindset, celebrating the journey, successes and failures, not simply within your own team, but across the business. That's about finding high impact moments to shout about the great things you've achieved, celebrating efforts and achievements and finding time for reflection to learn, grow and come back stronger next time. If you'd like more practical advice on building a purpose-driven business with brilliant insights from people like Esther, download the Insider's Guide to Purpose at givenagency.com forward slash insider's guide.